This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 115 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest today is Micah Hoffman. He's principal consultant at Spotlight Infosec and one of the founders of the OSINT Curious website, an online destination for enthusiasts and students of open source intelligence gathering and analysis techniques. He shares his professional journey from psychology to information security, his insights on the growing availability and importance of open source intelligence, his emphasis on ethics, and how organizations can best integrate open source tools into their security strategies. Stay with us. I've had an interesting one over the years. Uh, My undergraduate degree is in psychology. And um, after doing some things in the field, I figured out that I really needed something more concrete and uh, switched to computers and fixing them and breaking them and doing penetration testing and a lot of cybery things. And then um, throughout the years, as I did more penetration tests and risk assessments, I always found myself gravitating more towards open source intelligence. Although back then, I had no idea it was even called OSINT. It, uh, it was just doing reconnaissance in support of our gigs. About five years ago, I, I started up with the SANS Institute as an instructor, and and over the years, uh, I decided that it would be really neat to migrate fully into OSINT world and create a course on open source intelligence for the SANS Institute, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, let's let's uh, back up a little bit and uh, and share some definitions. I mean, how do you define open source intelligence? Well, the classic sense is anything that is retrievable by the the public. It's in the public domain. So it could be television broadcasts, radio broadcasts, things that you go down to the courthouse and have to apply for in person. But for for most of us in the cyber OSINT world now, we think about things that are online, things that are accessible from our computer systems, whether it's social media or domain history or things on the dark web. And take us through, I mean, what are some of the practical applications of OSINT these days? Well, it depends. It depends on what your goals are. Uh, we, uh, What I find over the years is that uh, people use OSINT and they don't even know it's OSINT, kind of like my beginnings. Uh, I've seen businesses use OSINT for uh, understanding what a company might be like if they were to uh, purchase it out and buy it or merge with it. I've seen people uh, in law enforcement use OSINT to to find out what the upcoming threats might be for some type of activity or, or gathering, uh, um, reconstructing crimes, uh, gathering photos and videos of a, a natural disaster or some type of a terrorist event. And then criminals use OSINT as well uh, for for finding uh, targets, attacking them, for uh, spewing propaganda, for phishing attacks. Um, A lot of people use OSINT. And so in terms of a company trying to manage what's out there about them, um, what are your thoughts there? It's a challenge. I mean, you're essentially trying to to look at all the different places where people may be discussing uh, topics, projects, people that are associated with you. So it, it's it's a challenge. But 
for many of us, it's it's a really fun challenge. It's it's that kind of detective or cops and robbers games that we used to play, uh, that I used to play as a kid. You know, you're always looking for something and then figuring out what it means and then looking for something else. So uh, there's lots of places to go too. We see a lot of a lot of uh, tools and techniques offering searches in the dark web and um, and even searches within or searches or gathering data from social media and other places that are on the surface. Yeah, one of the the projects uh, that you um, were co-founder of is the OSINT Curious online site. Um, describe to us so what prompted you to create that. That was a fun project. It was uh, myself and some of the other people that that are in the project were sitting around and talking about how uh, nowadays within OSINT we're having this blossoming of sharing information and it's absolutely wonderful compared to what it was maybe five years ago where you had to go to a specific law enforcement training or into some secret room to, to learn about these techniques that only your company or your organization could know. And we thought about how there's a lot of people that are sharing information with that may have flawed analysis, you know, may not be showing the tools in in the best light. So we thought it would be a great place to go ahead and and create a kind of a a community spot where we could share our experiences and do our research and share it all for free with whoever wants it on the Internet. Can you give us some examples? What are the kinds of things that you're sharing there? We have uh, many blog posts that range from uh, more legal type of things like what happened to OSINT after the GDPR privacy regulations went into effect in Europe to uh, Darknet and how we can discover the systems that are being used for the to host different Darknet websites to um, one of our members just posted one on on using the command line tool curl for interacting with application programming interfaces. And that's just the blog stuff. We also have, uh, we've thought about how people like to consume information and realize that everybody's busy. So we started creating these 10 minute YouTube videos. We call them 10 minute tips. And they are usually a discrete skill or a set of skills that are OSINT focused that somebody can watch the video, learn a new tool in just 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting to me because I think about um, as as we've come into the cyber age, you know, over the past couple of decades, I think many of us in our minds, you know, probably have uh, the notion of that old private eye, you know, sitting in a small uh, office somewhere, a small smoky office, you know, gathering gathering information and. Um, the availability of of the, that sort of effort has really opened up to a, a much wider group of people. Absolutely, and and I love that your your example there because that's the the same thing I have in my mind. Something like Columbo or something you know that where the, the guy's wearing a, a fedora and a trench coat and right, that's right. that's that's what we look, think about. But but on, on I'm watching social media whether it's Reddit, the the Ocean Ocean subreddit, or in the Ocean team group, or or even just on Twitter looking at the hashtag Ocean. And I'm seeing a huge number of enthusiasts, just people that are interested in learning and growing skills, saying, how can I contribute and how can, how can I, you know, just get better at this? And it's wonderful to see. Now, what about um, the ethical side of OSINT Collection? How do you, how do you address that and, uh, you know, keep people from crossing over into things like doxing? 
Yeah. The the ethical side is something we definitely talk about uh, in uh, OSINT Curious behind the scenes and also in a lot of the other training classes that I that I teach. It's it's an interesting line to to talk about. You mentioned doxing is that's one thing, but even just the collection of information of people from a certain country without their permission, that could be against the law. Or uh, many times we create fake personas or research identities or so that we can get onto social media platforms. And when we do that, you know, for, for most people, it's uh, we understand it's a violation of terms of service, but for some law enforcement, that actually can can get them into hot water ethically. And then we have the, the usage of breach data, you know, that data that is stolen from some company and with usernames and passwords and then pushed online that we can access and find out the passwords of our targets. There are a lot of different reason, things that we talk about. And I would love to say there's a, there's a, a line in the sand that we don't cross. Uh, but the reality is, is that depending upon the country that you're from, the countries you're targets from, and what your organization and you are allowed to do, that line shifts. I have people that, you know, are from the EU and, and they have fewer things that they can do and people that just are uh, private citizens and, and can do uh, a lot more. Hmm. Now, within that, that sense of community, um, is there a certain amount of self-policing? I think so. Um, there, I like to think of it instead of policing, more, uh, more helping to learn and grow. You know, we, hmm. we've seen some, some blog posts that are out there that maybe the person has uh, created some logical fallacies in their analysis, and they they say, well, this happened, this happened, so that must mean this, and. There is sometimes a reluctance to share publicly that information that, hey, you know what, you, you might have jumped to a conclusion there or created a false dichotomy or whatever. Uh, but in private, usually, and this is the great thing about the build the community that we're building, is that we have a lot of different ways to reach out to people and say privately, hey, did you know that, you know, this could also be the case or that uh, to advise in private. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point that, uh, you know, you have these these two phases. You have the gathering and then you have the analysis. Could, could you give me some insight as to what, um, you know, so what's the difference between the two of those? And do certain people gravitate towards one or the other? Absolutely. Um, when I was doing penetration testing and security assessments, I loved running tools. I loved, you know, running this cool Python tool that would really quickly grab all the information about whatever target IP domain or person was out there. And, and then I'd run another tool that would, you, you know, do all of the thousands of Google dorks against my domain, the domain I'm interested in. And I would get all of this data. And then I would have to sort through that, remove false positives, and that was less fun. And then doing the analysis of what's important, what's an actual target, and what should I go for next, that was intriguing as well. So we do have people that are more focused on OSINT tools and, hey, this is a cool tool and this is a tool to do that. Building that OSINT toolbox that, uh, that, of capability 
But we also have a lot of people that are maybe coming from more intelligence or analytical backgrounds that are are just killing it when it comes to or just doing really well when it comes to uh, the analysis of what the data means. So uh, I think we do have several different camps there. And some people, many people are, are mastering both. I mean, it seems to me like an interesting mix of, of both art and science. Yeah, I'd say that's that's very accurate. And the, the the science would be the running of the tools and collecting everything, but the art is really understanding what the heck does this mean and is it relevant, is it truthful, that kind of stuff. You know, I, I think um, a lot of folks today, when they see how much information is, is out there about all of us and um, the ease with which it can be accessed, I think there's a sense with some folks that there's a, there's a certain disproportionality at play here that... Uh, you know, for for the folks who are out there gathering stuff, um, like they have the advantage these days. That is actually something that that is quite possibly true, depending on who we're talking about. There are some countries, like the United States, that shares a huge amount of information about the people inside of it. So. Even if you and I are not on any social media, uh, the government and the organizations that we might visit in our neighborhoods and in our communities, they might share a bunch of information about us without our permission. Uh, and then we have corporations that are collecting and, and analyzing and sharing our information kind of behind the scenes. So uh, you don't necessarily have that in other cultures and other uh, places in the world because there are laws and regulations and uh, prevent that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think even I remember when certain um, you know public record databases were taken online, um, so you didn't have to make that trip down to the courthouse or down to city hall to pull up information. And that really allowed a, a different, um, a different velocity of data gathering than you had in the past. Yeah. I must admit that that, uh, my OSINT experience doesn't go back quite that far, but mm -hmm. it, um, but I've, I've heard similar stories that, you know, we used to have to get a runner, you know, you would contact a, com a company that's in whatever city, state or location of the world you wanted them to, to wanted to gather information of, and then they would run down to the court and get whatever records you needed and then send them to you by fax or by some other method. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the, the proliferation of information that's being pushed to the internet now is, uh, is really a, an issue in some cases. Uh, as an OSINT professional, I love all the data that people are pushing, but as a private person, it's it's really is scary. Hmm. How, how do you reconcile those two sides of it? I uh, I draw a very strong line in between them. It is a hard thing to do because I you know I educate my family, my friends. Uh, well, with OSINT Curious, we educate anybody that we can and showing them show them what we can do as far as OSINT. And then in many of those situations, we also tell them how to protect themselves so they don't do the things that allow us to collect their data. And some people listen, um, some people don't, um, but. Uh, you've been around long enough, you, you know that it's all an evolution, right? Uh, we've seen some things in the OSINT world in the last month or two that have been uh, huge shifts that from how we used to do things for, for years. And and we'll adjust, we'll adapt, and we'll overcome, and, and we'll keep moving on. So even if we do protect ourselves in one way, uh, then there's you, there's usually other ways to get at that data or similar data. Hmm. What, what kind of shifts are you talking about? What's happened recently? 
Well, we've had some major things happen. Uh, one of the biggest and most international is Facebook uh, changing its graph search so that it, you know, techniques that we used for, for many years to relate information and data about a certain person or a group of people has now changed dramatically and to some degree decreased our ability to get at that data easily and quickly. Uh, there have been other shifts too. Uh, Michael Bazell's IntelTechniques.com site uh, move, moving its tools and, and things behind a paywall and a registration wall. That took a lot of people that uh, were using those for law enforcement and other reasons and and really kind of truncated their capability, cut them off at the knees, and they were looking for other places to to do certain things. And then other things too. I mean, people.com moved their, uh, removed their public search so that now you have to, now it's only a, a paid service and, and there are some other ones out there too. Yeah. Now, uh, you are also the author of the SANS Institute's Open Source Intelligent Gathering and Analysis class. What prompted that? What's the demand there? And how's that going for you? It's been a neat journey. Uh, I started that in 2016. And the uh, impetus for that was I'd been in cyber for many years. And what I realized was that for somebody like me that really enjoyed the OSINT portion, uh, with that portion of, of the data gathering for uh, cybersecurity assessment or for whatever, it was a very small portion of, of many of the different classes. And I pitched it to Sands and said, hey, I, I think you know we could, we could centralize this and go a lot deeper and uh, provide more information to uh, all different types of cyber people, whether they were penetration testers or digital forensic people or classic OSINT people as well. And they they like the idea. So uh, we have uh, the class went um, public in September of last year and we've trained hundreds and hundreds of people all around the world. This year it's being taught 27 times live around the world and it's in on demand as well. Now, going through that process of, of putting together the class and then getting feedback from your students, were there any surprises, any any assumptions that you had made that turned out to, to not be so? Absolutely. I, and I try to, you know, with that psychology background that I have from way back in my college days, I always try to, to ask for feedback along the way so that I make the best product for my customer, no matter what it is. And in this case, the product was the class and the customer was... Well, that was the main problem. The customer was everybody and anybody. And hmm. so uh, and we meant for this class to be an entry-level, in-the-door type of class for people that had no prior experience or maybe had some prior experience with OSINT. And then we would get you up to an intermediate level. And then the plan was always that in the future there would be an advanced class or an intermediate and advanced class that would go deeper into some of the more more technical things. And uh, one of the things I absolutely love is getting feedback from students saying, hey, you know what, this section, uh, have you thought about not looking at this resource? We use it a lot. Or that tool isn't as good as this one. Or why don't you cover X, Y, Z? Um, I love getting that feedback because it makes the course more applicable and, and better. So in the last year, we've evolved the course. I've evolved the course, and my students have helped me um, uh, a great deal to make it more relevant and relatable to everybody. I want to touch on threat intelligence uh, and, and your take on it, the part that you think that it plays 
uh, in cybersecurity. What are your thoughts there? I'll be very honest that threat intelligence isn't a big part of what I do, so I'm mm-hmm. not as you know as well informed about it. Um, but cyber threat intelligence is something that can help understand the risks that are coming to an organization or that are out there discussing um, an organization or. Uh, for the malware that's out there and understanding who's making it. Um, And I think it's something that we need to stay aware of, but I don't have much more expertise in that. Yeah. So in terms of organizations who are looking to use open source intelligence uh, to better protect themselves, what kind of tips do you have? How do they dial that in? How do they know how to start down that path? Yeah, the first thing is uh, requirements gathering. You know, when we talk about doing OSINT, uh, I, I use an example in class of a person that's that's told to do OSINT about an event, and the question is, is you know, what do you research in in the OSINT world? We can look at people, we can look at computers and domains and IPs, we can look at locations, we can look at across uh, social media platforms for sentiment analysis or hashtags that are being used. We can look at competitors. So the first thing that I suggest is understanding what you're looking for. What what is the question or questions that that you have that you want to find out? Are email addresses found in any data breaches, or are is our competitor going to launch a new product, or whatever it is? Figuring out what you care about is important so that you spend your resources appropriately. That's really what drives it is that requirements gathering. Once you gather requirements, then you you choose those tactics, techniques, and procedures that will help you achieve your goal. Yeah, it's interesting to me that um, I, I think like like more and more folks in cybersecurity these days, um, you know, you came to it in a in kind of a roundabout way. I mean, it wasn't you didn't set off you know right through high school and college that you were going to be a cyber person. Um, you you sort of you know came in the side door, but really found the thing that uh, that you love. Yeah, and I'm seeing that more and more. Uh, people are reaching out on Twitter all the time, saying, you know, I am a bartender, or I am doing this, but I I'm drawn to that uh, the OSINT and and searching for people or searching for things online. And what I love about it is that there are. In in the cyber world, we've had capture the flags and online training and tutorial things that are free for for a decade or more. Uh, but in OSINT, we've just started seeing the last couple of years an evolution of the same type of thing, where people can practice their OSINT skills by watching the quiz time uh, medium site and seeing what challenges they're doing with geolocation or they can participate in a trace labs OSINT CTF and actually try to find missing people in the real world. There are some great OSINT for good and just OSINT challenges out there that anybody can use to build their skills. It was funny. I was going to say, you know, for the OSINT curious, uh, you know, what's the best place for them to get started? But of course, you're co-founder of a website called OSINT Curious. So I guess that's step one, right? Yeah, I would I would kind of recommend going to OSINTCurio.us. <laughs> that's your, that's yeah. your unbiased uh, recommendation, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that we always try to do is, is provide attribution. So when um, Dutch OSINT guy sees that somebody in the OSINT team group puts in the OSINT team chat, you know, a certain resource, he'll go to Twitter and say, hey, this person in that place suggested this resource. Always trying to 
link back to the actual person. And, and we try to do that all the time, give credit where credit is due um, to uh, on the website as well. So our site isn't just about resources that we like and enjoy. It's about providing that, that input from other people. Our thanks to Micah Hoffman from Spotlight InfoSec for joining us. If you are curious about open source intelligence, be sure to check out the website osintcurio.us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Zane Picorni, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 